Recently, the NCAA Office of Inclusion hosted a discussion on creating communities of belonging. Five student-athletes from across NCAA divisions shared their experiences with racial inequities and how they're using their voices and platforms to advocate for change. Today's social series is devoted to giving them and their voices another platform. Introducing NCAA Director of Inclusion, Naya Blair Hackworth, and student athletes, Josiah Hall from the University of Wyoming, Braley Keller from Nebraska Wesleyan University, Devin Norwood from Fayetteville State University, Mackenzie O'Neill from Missouri Western State University, and Taylor Wilson from the University of Maryland. Thank you to our panelists. Looking forward to a great conversation today. So um, it's a pleasure to have you all to be a part of our, our panel and we wanna thank you in advance, not only for your time, but more importantly, for using your voice to educate and inspire us all. So let's get started. Many of us, are having individual and collective conversations around racial injustice due to either being exasperated, tired, or disheartened by the continued and yet recent killings of Black Americans, particularly those who have garnered national attention, George Floyd, Tony McDade, Ahmaud Aubrey, and Breonna Taylor, as well as many others. So my first question to the panelists is, how are you currently feeling and coping with the racial injustice in this country? particularly the recent killings of the individuals I just mentioned, and how did it impact or how is it currently impacting your team? I'll go ahead and start. Um, if, we're, if we're being very honest here, I, I felt extremely overwhelmed um, in, the, in the last weeks. And it goes without saying, but um, I, like many others, have been terribly heartbroken by the news of the recent killings. And I, the worst part with it too, is that it's not even news at all. Uh, this has been something that's been a part of our country uh, for so long, and it's finally resurfacing within discussions around this country. And, and again, it's, it is heartbreaking, um, but I am encouraged by discussions like this and, and opportunities to move forward. I'll go next. Um, so how I feel about what's going on now, I feel, uh, I'm in disbelief. I'm disgusted. Uh, I'm not really pleased with what's going on, honestly. Uh, and it, it's sad and it's sickening that it has to come to this point where we have to realize that Blacks need right too. So I'm also scared. Not only I'm, I'm confident in myself and everything that I do and every, all the work that I have done throughout my community, I'm very confident that I can lead them to the top. However, I have to watch myself, especially as a black student athlete, because I just got a message um, from a godfather of mine telling me that the KKK are starting rallies in these certain states. And I'm from North Carolina, and that's one of the states. And I also go on with Alabama, South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Texas. So for any of my black student athletes or black students or any black people that are out there, just watch your back because things are starting to turn. We're starting to realize that this is bigger than us. And uh, I'm glad I'm a part of it. I'm gonna keep being proud. I'm gonna keep my head up for my community. While I know I lead with a lot of my back, I continue to keep my head high and knowing the sky's the limit for me. 
Yeah, like Devin and uh, Braley said, um, I'm I'm hurt. I'm disgusted. I'm all of those things, and mm-hmm. you know, just to piggyback off of what they said, I, you know, I'm 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 angry. And uh, as a young black man in this country, who maybe thinks about having some kids someday, you don't want your kids to grow up in a world like this. Uh, the only thing that gives me some sort of comfort uh, is is the fact that this is the most momentum I think I've seen in my entire lifetime as far as the discussion and the the actions that are being taken by so many people across the country. So that's a little bit encouraging, but at the same time, it's it's inexcusable and um, it's just it's just upsetting. And so that's where I'm at, and uh, pretty much just like everybody else. I agree with the other panelists. I am sick and tired and truly angry. Um, Racism in this country is not new. The senseless murder and killing of black people in this country is not new. Um, And so I'm personally just trying to figure out what I can do um, to really make this, this cycle of injustice end. And so between being angry and mad, I am hopeful that this is becoming such a large conversation and that the needle is starting to move a little bit. I'll echo what all the other panelists were saying, but part of me feels powerless. Another part of me feels a little bit lost and confused and um, always wanting to do more, but not quite knowing where to start. And I think my teammates echo some similar emotions there too. It's, It's really hard. It's hard all around because you feel like you make change and then things happen that that you feel like you've taken 10 steps back when you've only taken two forward. But I'll echo what what Taylor was saying and what Josiah said as well, that, you know, panels like this and and these discussions really give me hope and um, make me excited for for this population and all of my peers and my student athletes. And just knowing that there are people who want to make a difference. And if we keep going, we can we can get there. All right. Thank you all for answering them. But let's keep it moving. So you all were selected because you have used your voice in different ways um, to help not only speak out about racial injustice, but just to being a leader on your campus and in your community. So my next question is, how did you find your voice and how are you using your voice as a student athlete to advocate for racial justice? So Taylor, let's start with you. Uh, Okay, yeah, so I, I really just found my voice from um, growing up with very strong-willed parents. Um, They always, you know, raised me to be a strong, confident woman. And I know that long after I'm done playing and representing the University of Maryland as a student athlete, I'm still going to be a Black woman in this country. And so to me, it's important that while I have this platform and people are listening to what I have to say, I use it to really to really change people's minds and get people thinking about what's going on in this country and what it's like to be a black woman in America right now and really a black person period. Um, And so I guess my voice, finding my voice came from having the support of my parents, but also the staff at Maryland has been really helpful in encouraging student athletes to use our voices. Um, And in general, just knowing that my identity is beyond my, um, excuse me, my experience as a student athlete. Thank you. Um, Josiah, do you want to? start yeah sure um kind of like what taylor said my my parents always really encouraged me when i was growing up to uh to be a leader and to not you know let things go if so if you see something wrong then to speak up about it and not to just be a bystander and so that's kind of where i found my voice my dad is a is a is a football coach he's a he's a high school counselor he's a you know he's 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 that loud guy that everybody loves and everybody looks to to 
you know, for encouragement, stuff like that. So I've always kind of tried to be like him and just, you know, when people need something to be said, I feel like I'm, I've always taken it upon my shoulders to say it. And so that's kind of just what I've lived by. And um, yeah, as far as racial, racial injustices go um, and how I started speaking up about that, um, I've taken to social media quite a bit. Just, I live in Wyoming, you know, Wyoming's, you know, Wyoming's pretty white. And so it's, it can be kind of, kind of intimidating to kind of stand out there, but there's, there's got to come a point where, you know, enough is enough. And so I've, I've, I've kind of reached that point. And, uh, you know, it's sad that it's taken all of this to get there, but, you know, we're here now. And so I'm, I'm just looking forward to keeping the conversation going. Thank you. And Devin, you want to chime in? Have you used social media as a platform to, to use your voice? Uh, yes, I have used social media for my platform. Um, during George Floyd's memorial service, I stood out with the whole county peacekeepers where we did a balloon release. I don't know if people seen that clip, but uh, that was the whole county peacekeepers. That was the organization that I'm a part of. Um, and next thing you know, New York Times picked up our story and we're there on New York Times on a social media page. Um, I made a YouTube video of the recap. We did a peaceful protest in Rayford, North Carolina, where his sister is from. And um, it was an amazing walk. We had amazing turnout. Uh, voices was heard. We did an eight minutes and 46 seconds, eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence. And um, I laid on the concrete to feel his pain. And wow, I would say eight minutes and 46 seconds is a very, very long time. And I found my voice during high school when my old high school teacher came up to me, Miss Mitchell. She told me that I have a strong voice. I never knew what that meant because I'm in high school, I'm only in 10th grade. What does that mean? Once I got to college, I was majoring in communication. I figured out what my voice meant. And now I'm using it and putting it into action. I'm going to these protests. I'm going to these rallies. I'm speaking up on social media because I know certain people can't even speak up on the situation, especially my army friends and other people that are just not comfortable with it. So I'm just trying to help bring my community back together so we can see one thing and that's unity. Thank you, Devin. Powerful. Um, Mac or Braley, uh, I know that both of you all as, as SAC leaders are using your voice in, in different ways as members of SAC. And I know Devin's a member of SAC as well. But can you share with us how you're using your voice uh, either as a SAC leader or just within your own athletic community? Sure, Naya. Um, for me, really, how I've been finding my voice through all of this, and it sounds strange to say, but I'm finding my voice through the voices of others. I know that I have a large platform and I'm never going to negate the, the potential impact I could have across the nation. You know, I have, I have peers and colleagues across the United States and in different areas and just hearing, hearing what, what my teammates, what my friends are going through and hearing what they're going through. It's, you, you can't ignore it, you know, and I'm not black. I will never know what, what my peers have to go through. But that being said, you know, I can't, I can't just sit back and, or, or stand up and, and try and make my voice heard over everyone else's. I think we're a lot stronger when we stand together. And so I've been taking this time to reach out to um, my student athletes and hear their stories and, and hear their experiences and, and ask them what they want. What do they want to see? Because that's what's more important at this time. Um, I've, I've helped now we are starting and it's progress. We're, we're going to have a diversity and inclusion 
um, subcommittee on my SAC at my at my campus, and that's something that we've never done before. And so, helping to facilitate that and and find leaders to to do that, but um, just really trying to um, enhance open conversation with everyone that I talk to, and 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 really really gather perspective rather than be heard. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Braley, do you want to add anything on to that about how are you using your voice um, to advocate for racial justice? Yeah, um, so I'm chair of D3SAC, the opportunity is obviously there and it's immediately apparent. And really, um, if, we're, if we're confessing here, it, it took about um, two, a good two weeks of processing. And I found the questions that I kept asking myself through that was, well, what can I do as a better leader? Or how can I help serve this community? And the consistency through that was I. So it was I, I, I. And I found that the minute I started looking outside of myself and what I could do and looking outside of the ability that I had and instead looking to my peers, um, coaches, ADs, and my awesome group of Division Three National Sackers, that's when we really started to see some progress and change. And um, kind of alluding to what Mac had mentioned, um, within D3SAC, we had um, a roundtable discussion um, just, just a little over a week ago. And within that, we started by giving each member five minutes to say uninterrupted um, what they were going through. And this call ended up going um, not probably two two hours or so, and and through it we were able to take steps and really write out um, where we are going to be going moving forward. Where we're going to revamp our diversity and inclusion subcommittee within SAC. Um, we're going to be advocating for NCA legislation, and again, most importantly, we're going to be modeling this from the top down because we believe if we want to see any change um, happen. In our, in our small student athlete realm, um, we want to model that from the top down, beginning with national SAC. And, and so really it is, like Max said, that, that strength and unity of moving forward, uh, bringing, bringing up one another and, and bouncing off um, just our different strengths. Thank you. So you all mentioned some great points about what you're doing and how you found your voice and when you found your voice. So there are some student athletes who may be struggling to, to find their voice. So what advice do you have for those who, who want to make their voice heard, but they don't know how or where to start? Um, and so I'll open it up for whoever wants to take it um, first. I'll take it first. Um, what you can do is be confident and courage and anything that you say you have to stand on it and you have to prove it too as well but not only that when you you stand on what we stand for you got to walk with us too because it's not easy in our shoes we can't put you in our shoes but you can see what we do you can walk with what they do you can experience what we do so just be confident and if you don't if you're not the type of person that wants your voice heard or you're not um confident in talking you know, there's donations, there's petitions. You can sign petitions. You can donate to these organizations that are out here protesting for what the rights and everything that you need. So that's what I will leave off with. Just be confident in what you stand for. I, I agree with Devin. You know, creating social change is not a one size fits all effort. 
Um, and so if you're just getting started, I definitely think you can lean into the to the student athlete community around you or even the national student athlete community. I know I've gotten contact with endless people on social media by just DMing them like, hey, I really like this information. Where'd you get this? What can I do to learn more about this that you're doing? Um, and so, you know, really educating yourself because people are going to ask you to show your work. You know, you can't just say anything um, and expect people to agree with you. So I think looking to your peers is a great way to start because we're all in this fight together. Um, and so even if you don't have that support at your school necessarily, I think looking at the bigger picture and maybe contacting other athletes or even peers that you know at different schools can be a great way to get started. If I might bounce off that too, um, I, can't, I can't paint myself as some hero in the fight for racial justice, um, but I will say the, the best thing I think I've done and, and the most well-received thing I've done is simply listen. Um, you might catch me taking, taking some notes during this call because I, I truly respect everyone on this panel and I want to learn from them. And I think you can hear it a lot. Um, and speaking from my own perspective, I've, I fell victim to this too by the phrase like, well, I'm a white male, so I just, I just can't understand. And while it's very true that, yes, I will never experience what day-to-day -day life is walking around as, as a black American, that's no excuse to not try to understand. Like I can, I can listen, I can take notes and I can hear. That's the most genuine and in my opinion too, the easiest thing that we can do to take progress, um, take progressive steps to move forward is to hear, um, hear the needs of those that we represent, those that are around us and those that you, that you care for. I agree with Braley and to add on to that too, I would advise just start with a single conversation. You build your voice by building your knowledge and by building the community around you. The more people I meet, the more relationships I form, the stronger my voice becomes and the more confident I am in my presence as well. But two, don't get discouraged if you feel there are times where your voice is not heard as loudly or as powerfully as, as you had expected that it would be. There's a quote I'm reminded of by Ralph Waldo Emerson and it ends, to know that one life has breathed easier because you lived here, that is to have succeeded. And I think that's something that's really important at this time because just remember, someone's always listening and your voice speaks louder than you could ever imagine. Making a change and making a lasting difference really starts with a single action. And if you focus on and prioritize the one, then you can slowly build and develop a culture that will last long after you leave. Thank you all. We're getting some questions in um, from the attendees, I want to divert a little bit and ask you, for those of you who are, are specifically active on your campus, what are some ways you shed light on specific racial inequalities on your campus? So what are some things that you're doing on your campus to shed light on inequalities? I'll say something. Okay. Um, honestly, I will say for my conference, the CIAA, um, especially Commissioner McWilliams, she has implemented diversity within her shows, Mac Attack. Um, so talk show hosts where mostly student athletes, coaches, they come onto the show and we speak about what's going on basically in the world. And we can't really take it to our campus just yet because it's kind of like summertime for student athletes and especially during this pandemic we're in. However, we're taking it to our phones, we're going to the streets, and we're protesting, we're making sure our voice is heard some way, somehow, even though this is some off season for some student athletes, 
we're still finding time to separate being a student athlete and being an activist in our community. So once we get back to campus, things will obviously change. Some student athletes can't even go back to their campuses. So we can't really speak for that. But I know for me and my teammates and my conference, we're standing tall, we're relevant, we're staying on top of everything. And our CIAA commissioner makes sure of that. Similarly, um, if, as far as the Big Ten Conference goes, Commissioner Warren has started the Anti-Hate and Anti-Racism Coalition, um, composed of staff, coaches, student athletes of all the Big Ten schools. And so I'm really honored to be a part of that. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, social justice and social change is not a one-lane highway. Um, and so we've really focused on voter registration and activating voters, specifically student athletes, which I think is a great which I think is a great step to take because you know some people are more comfortable protesting, some people are more comfortable demonstrating, but at the end of the day, we all have that right to vote. Um, and so really working with other schools in the conference to make sure student athletes are registered and educated on what we're voting for, because it's not just the president, um, but also helping student athletes you know, understand how to get an absentee ballot, what vote by mail looks like, and going out in the, into the community, excuse me, and activating the voters within the community who may have a difficult time accessing polls or even lack the similar knowledge that student athletes are um, looking for during this time. Thank you. So a lot of you are talking about what's happening and what will be happening. So what do you need? Um, and I'll, I'll start with you, Taylor, since you, you just finished some remarks. What do you need to feel heard, supported, and empowered by your coaches, administrators, and athletic department? That's a great question. And I think Maryland is doing a good job of listening to us. A lot of student athletes have either written spoken word or essays like myself. Um, a bunch of athletes got together and created a video and the athletic department has really made an effort to push those creations forward and really let the athletes voices be heard. And I think they're doing a great job listening. And that's something I think is super important, especially at a predominantly white institution um, where most of the coaches and staff, um, et cetera, are white. Um, and so really just listening to the voices of the student athletes and what they need. As far as what I need, I think I just need people to continue to educate themselves and continue to build that knowledge base and read and ask questions, listen to podcasts, have difficult conversations that are obviously uncomfortable but necessary. Thank you. Josiah, what about you? What do you need to feel heard, supported, and valued? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just not, is not tiptoeing around the, the issue. I mean, it's here. It's, it's staring us right in the face. And for, I think the worst thing that a, a coach and administrator and AD, um, anything like that could do is just, you know, trying to try and brush it off to the side. And so I think, yeah, the biggest thing is just, if you, if you have black players that, you know, you're close with is, is just talk to them. Um, make, make sure that they know that you are, you are concerned for them, that you care about them and that, you know, you're not just an athlete to them. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's easy to get caught up in the athletics, and you know we gotta we we get lost in the school and the in the sports and all that good stuff. We we forget that you know people are people, and these athletes have feelings, they have lives, they have they have people that they care about. They they might be going through something that you have no idea um, about away from the field or away from the classroom. So I think the biggest thing is just um for for administrators and coaches and people like that just to to let their let their players know that they care about them and they're not gonna they're not gonna shy away from the topic they're gonna attack it head on and that's the only way that we're gonna get through this together so 
Thank you. So Taylor and Josiah, you both talked a little bit about coaches and administrators, but Devin, specifically, what do you think that coaches need um, to do to make sure that you, as well as other student athletes, are feeling valued, heard? Uh, the first step they can do is simply just call them and text them and check on them. That's the first step because some athletes are not taking this as easy and some athletes are probably scared. Like, I know for me, my coach texts me, Coach uh, Luke Blasio, um, he's white, to be honest. And he texts, he texts me almost every, every other week asking how I'm doing, how's your day going, are you okay? And I, I'll be honest with him, I'm telling him, well, Coach, now nah, I'm battling this. I'm telling him about what's going on in the world. And he sits there and listens. He responds. It's not a long response, but it's short enough where he gets what I'm saying and he keeps me pushing. So if these coaches just keep pushing their athletes to be great and giving them that confidence in them so they can be that voice and so they can be heard, then it, the sky's the limit, not only for that organization, but for the athletic department, because now they built that trust. And especially during a time like this, it's either you with us or you're not. So I feel like that trust will carry a long way in a relationship for coaches and student athletes. Thank you. Taylor, you want to chime in? Yeah, this is definitely more of a long-term solution, but I definitely think coaches need to make a conscious and intentional effort to recruit black and brown student athletes, um, specifically to sports like softball, where I think 2019, 8% of all Division I softball players were black. Um, and it may look like going to tournaments and showcases that aren't you know, the first on your list. And that's not to say you have to sacrifice the integrity of your team or your talent level, but there are a lot of teams and a lot of athletes that have a, a tremendous amount of talent that are just under-recruited because they're not at those big tournaments or those big showcases. And so I think as a coach, one way to continue moving this, um, making progress in terms of creating diverse and inclusive spaces is to really recruit and focus on diversifying your team because that's when those conversations happen and that's when we learn from each other is in the locker room or when we're traveling, little things that we don't even know are happening um, you can't have that if you don't have those people on your team. Thanks. We want to add anything else to that? While we're, uh, while we're kind of on the topic of what we'd like to see out of administration and teams, um, it's, it's been very common lately to see statements get posted. Um, and I think that's awesome. I think it starts the discussion. But where I think the statements can, can go bad is if it stops simply after that post or that address. And so really, um, I guess if there was one thing that I could ask out of administrators, staff, and, and coaches um, is that there's follow through with it um, and, and not even follow through behind the scenes. This isn't something that needs to happen behind the curtain. Um, I think student athletes would love to see the transparency through it. I'm being very deliberate in explaining, okay, these are the steps that we're going to take to move forward because this is the statement we made a week ago or whatever it may be. And I do understand it'll take time. This is not, um, like, like Taylor said, this is not a, a short-term fix. This is going to take time. Um, but being very intentional with the transparency and level of understanding that you're, you're showing those who you're taking care of, you're showing them what you're doing to move forward. Thank you. So then what about 
coaches and teammates who are slow to change and slow to learn about racial injustice and racism. They have the statement, but they're slow to, to actualize what that looks like. So what advice would you offer uh, to those individuals? And we'll start with um, Mac, do you have a thought? Yeah, absolutely, thank you. Um, for teammates who and coaches who are slow to change, um, one thing, a common theme that I've seen is that hate is really bred through ignorance, through not knowing. And so part of, part of that ignorance too is, is not willingness to listen. And so it's really hard to look someone in the face who you don't agree with and to say, I wanna talk to you. I wanna understand your perspective because just as much as you would like to be heard, they would like to be heard as well. Like I said earlier, it starts with a single conversation and this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. When you're trying to develop a culture and you're, when you're trying to, to change a system that's not working, it takes time. And so having patience, understanding that at the end of the day, you may not agree with someone else and they might not agree with you, but having the courage and the respect to sit down with that person and have a conversation anyways shows your strength shows your courage and shows um, your, your desire to, to want lasting change and, and to change perspectives and change perception thank you Devin. what are your thoughts people may be a little slow to to making these changes what what advice or perspective would you give to them uh the advice and uh i could give to them honestly what they can do is or what I can do, I can teach them the way, or I, and I can tell them what I know, I can say everything. And it's on them to listen and comprehend and understand what I'm going through and what I'm saying. And if they don't understand, then it's okay. I can leave that conversation knowing that I informed someone. I mean, it could have went in one ear and went out the other, but I know if he was in another situation and he, he had the information that I told him, for example, and he sees another uh, athlete, let's say, and he's bad mouthing black people, for example. And he realized he come to his head like, wow, this is what I sound like because he's not saying it. And he obviously, if he doesn't understand what I am saying to him, then it is just, it's gonna go in one ear and one out the other. So what you can do is just inform them. Not only that, you can take them under your wing honestly like you can show them around maybe just for a day i mean it depends how they were raised too as well because it's a generational thing because if they were raised to hate black people then they're not going to give you the time of day and i'm gonna be honest but if they were raised in not even a black community or have black friends because i have white friends as well then they understand they don't fully understand they can't walk in our shoes like Bradley said but they know and they see they understand they listen and that's all we can really do and also all we ask for is you just to listen to us Thank you. So Devin, when you're talking about listening, I think that could be one form of allyship. So Josiah, what does allyship look like for you in your current environment? And what do you think others can do to become better allies? Yeah, thanks. Um, I think one of my favorite things that I've seen is kind of circling around on social media and what have you is it's not enough just to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist. And that kind of, I never really thought about it like that. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, that's, that's what good allyship looks like. And to me, being anti-racist is you, you may see somebody, you know, just saying something that could be just a little bit racist and you, 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 stop, you, you step in and you stop it right then and there. Um, doing that 
even if no one or even even if no one sees it or nobody you know takes a video and posts it it still goes a long way because in that moment you change somebody's um way of thinking hopefully and i think that's that's one of the biggest thing is if, if you're going to be an ally you can't just be be cool with you know sitting on the sidelines and like oh i'm not being racist so you know i'm i'm, I'm making the world a better place no you have to you have to really stick up for yourselves and for and for minorities that you know and be anti-racist and so i think that's the biggest thing and that's that's one of the favorite my favorite things that i've seen kind of circling around thank you taylor do you want to add anything on that of what does allyship look like and what could people do to become better allies yeah i definitely think allyship looks like listening but it also looks like amplifying the message of the community that you're acting as an ally for um and i think another another thing to consider when we talk about allyship is the fact that allyship is a verb and so that means actively doing things like you can't be quiet and call yourself an ally and in reality it's not up to you to decide that you are an ally right so for me as someone who's not a member of the lgbtq plus community i can't call myself an ally that has to be done through my action and how I amplify what that community is trying to express. And so I think for me, looking at it from that perspective, the most important thing to do as someone who wants to be an ally is to, to read and listen and really learn and equip yourself as, with as many facts and knowledge as you can so that when you're in a room with people who will listen to you as the ally, you can speak up and you can say what that community needs to be heard because they're gonna listen to you um, as someone who's not a member of the community that you're acting as an ally for. Thank you. Braylee and Mac, you, you talked a little bit earlier about what it means to be an ally and some of the steps that you have taken, um, but what can others do to become better allies, Braylee? Yeah, again, I think it goes back to um, just love and understanding. So if I'm not intentionally caring about those who I serve on the committee or student athletes or peers, whoever it may be, um, where will there even be any effort for me to become an ally if, if I don't love them, if I don't care for them? And even furthermore, if I don't understand where they're coming from, or if I'm not actively making an effort to understand where they're coming from, there's no way that you would be able to um, help field the needs um, that they have. And I love, I love the word ally. Um, I, I studied history in college. And when I think of ally, I think of alliances and if you go back to that term in any world war, um, an alliance between countries, these are countries that if one of them goes to war, the other one's right next to them. And I think that is so applicable right now too. Um, this, is, this is a serious fight. This is change that we are needing to make. And if you claim to be an ally, you better be ready to go to war um, with those who you're in allegiance with. Good point. So thinking about allegiance and, and, and being able to help um, fight side by side of the cause, what steps can coaches, athletic administration, and the NCAA national office take to create and foster an inclusive athletic community where discrimination and bias are not tolerated? Um, so I'll open it up to who wants to, to answer that first. Um, I can start us off a little bit. When I was at convention, I was able to sit on an inclusion panel and something that really changed my perspective and, and how I think about things was understanding your bias, whether you realize it or not, everybody has it. And so I think the first step would be to inform people that you might have bias. 
and that's okay. But the important thing is, is that you understand that you have a bias, you understand that you have a certain perception, and you you're taking the steps to understand why and how you can change that and how you can alter your thoughts to make it reflect in your actions. You know, talk to your friends, talk to your teammates. Don't be afraid to, to ask questions, to seek understanding. You know, it's okay to challenge statements, actions, or systems that you don't agree with, but it's also okay to be wrong and to change your, your mind the more you learn and encourage others to do the same. There's no pride or, or honor to be earned in ignoring your mistakes. We're not perfect and there's always gonna be something more to learn, but you know, to be a good ally and to be a good leader and what student athletes need is, is to be humble and, and accept the fact that you can always be better. We can always be better. Thank you. We'll go Devin then Braley. So, the main thing, especially for us as a athletic committee and community, we have to make sure we have to check up on our black athletes and we have to monitor obviously what's going on in the world, but also monitor what they're going through as well. Like this task and these past three to four months have definitely not been easy. I know, especially amongst my teammates, um, we had our CIAA championship. We made it all the way to the championship. We lost to Winston-Salem State by three points, two points. Heartbreaking feeling, you know. We come back to school the next week. We have one week of full class. The next thing you know, we're out on break. Not even a break. There's a pandemic, and we have to get sent home. So everybody had to leave campus at a certain time with this heartbreak feeling on their heart. So now we're going on, rolling into to May and June, where police are police are basically brutal, brutalizing these black young men and women with a badge and they're not seeing no repercussions. Yeah, we see the George Floyd case and it's, it's taking slow steps there. Um, I think the murderers got charged with second degree murder now. Um, not even to mention one was out and um, getting groceries. It's, it's crazy, they're out in these streets and they're shopping and they just put, the, they watched a man die for eight minutes and 40 seconds. Not even a man in justice for Breonna Taylor. She still hasn't seen justice yet. All the officers that uh, were supposed to be convicted or whatever the case may be, they're, they're not arrested. They're still walking these streets. They're still clocking in their job. I heard in Atlanta that majority of their officers have called out of work. They call it blue days because they feel like they're at risk, not only because black, not even black people, people are killing them, they're, they're killing us and they don't want to be a part of that killing us category. So now you have these black officers and white officers staying home because they're scared for their lives. So we just really have to take a step back and reflect. And like I said, we have to put ourselves in each other's shoes, not just one person's shoes, each other's shoes. And we all have to walk that mile together so we can see what we all want to see. And that's justice and freedom. Mm. Good point, justice and freedom. Braley, what do you got to add to that? I, I'm not sure how to follow up both Mac and Devin there. Those are awesome answers. Um, but I, um, I guess during this time, I think I might sound like a broken record when I say listening is so key, but taking that outward first step to ask student athletes, like Devin had mentioned with his coach, um, I think for administrators, coaches, staff members, whoever it may be, um, just in the environment we're in, there's a, a very heightened fear of saying the wrong thing. And that's, that's fair. I mean, whatever is said at this time, something will be criticized from 
no matter who it is. Um, but I don't believe that's a valid enough reason not to, not to reach out, not to say something. And by reaching out in a posture of openness and genuine desire to listen, um, in my opinion, a coach or administrator or staff member in that position will be well-received. And again, I, I think that's how uh, progress will be taken to move forward on on a smaller scale with individual relationships. Thank you. Taylor, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I agree with everything everyone said. And I also think that in terms of the administrative level and really the national level, like I said earlier, just diversifying, you know, the staff and the team and the coaches and everything, not just because it looks good, um, or because diversity and inclusion is important, which it is, but because you eliminate blind spots and you create spaces for understanding and empathy and learning and all of those things that are so necessary um, to keep moving this needle, which I think we often overlook because we're scared to change things a little bit too much or we like the way things are. And we're not saying that we should get rid of every white person in every position of power ever, but we're saying we need equal access and we need equal opportunity. And when there's a chance for talent to exist in a space, we need that talent there, especially if that face or people that look like them aren't traditionally in those spaces because that just makes that organization so much more powerful. Thank you all. So our last 10 minutes, we're gonna talk a little bit, looking at some of the questions that continue to come in from our attendees. And one really gets at this, notion of Devin when you mentioned freedom and justice and, and brightly the individual steps that people can take. So we know that student activism is an important part of various social movements. So how can staff and coaches be activists in the all Black Lives Matter movement? And when I say all Black Lives Matter movement, that is inclusive of our Black trans um, gender individuals. So what can our coaches and, and administrators do to be a part of that, that movement. So Josiah, I'll start with you. Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing is for coaches and administrators to not be silent um, and to, and to really let their players know, and even let the public know that they, that they support their, their student athletes and, you know, these, those movements. Um, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of, a lot of you know negative posts about the NFL because that there's been hardly anybody in leadership positions in the NFL right now that has said anything um, as far as Black Lives Matter and all Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. And they're they're receiving a lot of flack for that. While at the same time, NASCAR has banned Confederate flags within you know a couple of weeks. And so I think the most important thing for for both the student athletes and for the coaches is, is for them to 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 not be silent. Because you know, if if you're if you're a student athlete, you, you want to play for somebody who's who who you know has your back and isn't going to be you know silent in times of injustice. And so I think that's huge. Thank you, um, Devin. Do you want to chime in? Yes. Um, what coaches and staff and administrators what they can do is. Uh, like I said, number one thing is check on your student athlete, make sure they're okay mentally, physically, and emotionally. You never know what they're going through. The second step is you can find, you can support, support pages. Uh, there's a list of pages. I know uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of your day-to-day -day apps, there's always a movement somewhere going on. All you have to do is support them. Just one like, one retweet, that's enough you can do. Or you can take this next step and find a thread where they're doing petitions 
like where I'm from, well, I'm originally from Rayford, North Carolina, but where I live in Fayetteville, North Carolina, they, uh, the slave house that, that's still up, they're doing a, a end of, end of, they're doing a painting more basically around it because they want to tear it down, but we can't tear it down because obviously we don't have approval. And two, they burnt, they tried to burn it down originally, but it's made of brick. So it's not going, I, if you know, it's not going to happen, trying to burn brick down. So uh, they gated it off. They gated it all off. So all you have is, all, all we're going to do is do a, a mural, a, a mural for Black Lives Matter. And not after that, you can support your Black-owned businesses too as well. Those go a long way. You, you reach out to these Black CEOs, these Black entrepreneurs, these Black retailers, and you shop with them. And I mean, there might be some bad ones. You know, just do your research. Ask a friend. This is the time where you reach out and ask for help. Not even help. Just ask for recommendations. Just somebody to guide you into the direction of what you need. Because it's, it's a crisis. It's a pandemic. It's a race war. It's everything under the sun. And all we got right now is support. So in this time of matter, we need to support each other. Thank you. And so while our time is coming to an end, there's so many more questions and so much more advice that we would love to, to have from you all. Um, and it's important to know uh, for the attendees to be able to ask these questions and, and more to the student athletes on their campus and really listen as you all have stated today. So my final question um, for you all, and I'll start with Matt, what gives you hope? It's a great question. Um, this discussion right here, this gives me hope. Seeing everything that's happened on social media and how we've turned something so, I don't even have the words to describe how awful, you know, into something positive, into, into a movement, into a way that we can be better and that we can all benefit. That, that gives me hope. And I hope that this continues and I will continue to, to pursue racial racial justice and social justice and um, I hope that my my fellow allies and, and colleagues choose to do the same. Thank you Mac. Josiah what gives you hope? I think what gives me hope is just seeing the diversity in um, people that are outraged. For the first time I think in a long time it's not just black people that are upset. Um, like I said I live in Wyoming and it's a lot of it's a lot of white around here but there's people protesting downtown almost every day for the last couple of weeks. And uh, it's just been, it's been, it's been great to see. And it's, it's been encouraging, but um, yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest thing is it's, it's not just black people that are upset this time. And um, I think the momentum that we have right now is, is something that hasn't been seen in a long time. And so that, that, that's just giving me hope to, to just keep the fight going. So. Thank you. Riley, same question. What gives you hope? Um, Oh, first and foremost, my, my hope and strength is found in, in Jesus Christ and being renewed by listening and loving and caring one another. It's so empowering and it, it carries over to just looking at each of you on, on this panel. I see staff members and bright young adults and leaders who are truly so passionate and have a desire to be a part of change. Like Josiah said, this is not um, it, it, this is not something where it's only black community speaking up on it. We're seeing people from across the country in so many different communities advocating for this. And while I, while I wasn't alive in civil rights movements before, this is something that, like many people said, it feels different. And, and I, I'm encouraged by that truly each day. 
Thank you, Bradley. Next, we'll hear from Taylor and then Devin. What brings me hope is really the activation of so many groups of people, like Braley was saying. Um, this is really unprecedented in terms of how many people have decided to take up this fight and really focus their efforts toward creating social change and social justice. Um, and I'm also given hope by the increase in accountability across the board. I think whether you look in social media or in life, you see a lot of people and a lot of companies being held accountable for their actions and being demanded um, to do more. And so I really think that with this fight comes holding people accountable. And like Max said, it's okay to be wrong, but best believe you're gonna be held accountable. And so you need to be prepared to learn and grow from that. Thank you. Um, what gives me hope? First off, this, this gives me hope. This helps me with ease knowing that there are people listening to us and listening to our problems. And we're not the only ones that are facing it. What else gives me hope is my parents. They support me every day in anything that I've done. Uh, their support obviously goes a long way because I'm just really only getting started in my work. And what also gives me hope is my community. Like I said, I'm from Rayford, North Carolina. There's only one high school, predominantly black, Indian, and then you have your mix of white, honestly. And it was a tough environment. You know, the system wasn't even really built for you, but I beat the system obviously with athletics. And now I have a chance to give back and I have numerous DMs, messages from my community, uh, colleagues, teammates, telling them, telling me that they're proud of me. Like, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Like, you're doing so great. And just hearing those messages and hearing those compliments come in just fills my heart up and makes me want to go even harder. So that's what gives me hope. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. Um, your wonderful comments that have inspired us, um, that have challenged us, and hopefully we all as an athletic community can rise to the occasion. Uh, you all represent some of the best and brightest scholars and athletes who undoubtedly will help change not only our athletic community, but the world by continuing to use your voice to advocate for change, but also your actions, which will guide us to do better and to be better. For it has always been students who have helped lead the way to our society being more inclusive and racially just. Whether it was the Little Rock Nine who integrated Central High School in Arkansas or the Student Nonviolent non Coordinating Committee known as SNCC who coordinated youth-led nonviolent direct action campaigns against segregation and other forms of racism. Students on our campus while playing their sports have used and continue to use their platform to call for change. However, it's not only up to students to do the work, to change systems, to change mindsets. It is up to each of us, regardless of our titles, to do the work, to move the needle. And we hope you will continue the conversation. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for watching this week's social series. Creating Communities of Belonging is an ongoing series by the NCAA Office of Inclusion, touching on topics related to diversity and inclusion in college sports. You can find more information at ncaa.org slash inclusion. As always, thanks for watching all our social series. You can go to ncaa.org to find all our social series over the last four months archived for your viewing. I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for watching, and we'll talk again next week.